Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 48. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by Dennis Prager's biggest fan, Chris Raygun. Chris, how oh are you? Oh my goodness, I'm doing pretty good. Now, doing you were good. just watching a video that just had us belly laughing. <laughs> you got to recommend it because it's just, it, if you have it up still, because it's yeah, just so no, it's, funny. It's really fantastic. If you guys look up, uh, it's, it's good old P-U-Y-T-P. It's a YouTube poop. This is like an old... Like style of video, but it's just this great edit of PragerU's ads. It's like two weeks old. It's by a channel called, I think, The Citizen Brain. I don't know. I don't endorse that channel or anything. I don't know what the fuck's on it, but but that video is amazing. The communist. That video I was just listening to is just perfect edit. It's just for people that don't know, Dennis Prager is a kind of a right wing guy. Runs a think tank. Puts out these these viral conservative videos, and some of them are pretty good actually. But and they're like very well produced and stuff. But someone cut cut it together so he's saying horrifying shit. It's really. <laughs> It's, it's very. A, it's a really good edit. I, I was dying laughing. I'm still trying to get the giggles out. Yeah, exactly. I'm, but, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good right now going yeah. into the uh, podcast with a, a little bit of laughter because I stayed up so late last night watching the Netflix show, uh, what is it called? Quicksand, which is a Swedish thriller, a Swedish mm. thriller that uh, I didn't go bed, to bed till late. And then when my alarm went off at one, you had arrived right then and texted me. And yeah. I, so I, my alarm went off and then there was and I was like, I grabbed it. And then your text message was there already. I was like, well, yeah, look at that. Look at that timing. Perfect. Timing. Perfect timing. So welcome. Welcome, everyone, to our PlayStation podcast for the uninitiated. Sacred Symbols is the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast with 50,000 listeners. And we appreciate you very much. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can get every episode of Sacred Symbols three days earlier than public feeds without ads. It's also the way you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show, which we will read throughout. And... You can get exclusive podcasts and all the rest as well. We're recording this on Memorial Day. It'll go live after Memorial Day, but we'd be loath not to wish uh, everyone a happy Memorial Day weekend. I don't even mean to be sarcastic, but it's hard to wish anyone Memorial Day since it's about dead soldiers. So we yeah. want to just appreciate their sacrifices, obviously. For sure. Whether you're American or Canadian or British or Australian or whatever the case might be. Only exceptions uh, if you uh, are Soviet uh, you have Soviet blood or if you have Nazi blood in you. If you have I, Soviet blood. I, I, yeah. If, if you have Soviet blood coursing through your veins, I'm not terribly sorry about what happened to your ancestors, except, of course, you know, the barbaric shit the Nazis did to them. And yeah. the Nazis, of course, even worse. So if you have Nazi blood running in you, then we de- you definitely don't get to support, you know, celebrate Memorial Day either. Everyone else, happy Memorial Day. 
<laughs> is a good way to do it. Yeah, I think. pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Pretty smooth sailing there. Because otherwise, well, first of all, Memorial Day I think is in America is really only for American soldiers, but just generally speaking, we should always be thankful for the the sacrifice of those that fought, right? For, oh, for, for sure, for righteous gains, especially because they're kind of treated like shit. Exactly, and that's what Veterans Day is all about—the people that are still alive that yeah. are being treated like shit, as opposed to the people that are dead that were treated like shit. So uh, whether you lost someone or you're in the military or whatever the case might be, we're wishing you the very best. I know that that's a Veterans Day type thing, but we're, we're thinking of anyone that's lost someone out there. And uh, we appreciate uh, your your I, I, you know, I say service, but it's like it's kind of incredible when you really think about it. It's kind of incredible, right? Like no one's ever asked us our generation to serve. Really? No. We don't have a draft, right? Like we, people my age have fought in Iraq. Lots of people that I know. In Afghanistan, but it's amazing, like the sat, like just the general sacrifice. Like, imagine you being 22, and some cataclysmic shit happens, like the not the rise of the Nazis, and they're like, "All right, you're going," and now, pretty, you to, and now you have to like learn how to be a soldier. It's pretty stuff. wild. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think they. It's weird because they would just draft people, even if they wouldn't really qualify for combat either. They'd just be like, "Ah, you'll be like here doing medical stuff or whatever." Right. Yeah, kind of, I, I, I have a part. Well, I'm almost of the age. I'm 34, so I'm one year away from the from where by law I can't be drafted anymore. Because uh, I'm too old. Oh, that's interesting. I've always said, even if there was a draft, I don't think you'd have to draft me. I think I would just, if there was, if it was so ridiculous that there would need to be a draft, I would fight. And they would probably put yeah. me, they'd probably be like, all right, we're, you're not going to fight, sir, Mr. Moriarty. We'll, we'll put you in front of this computer and you could fly a drone. And <laughs> yeah, that's pretty something what, like that. That's you know? probably what the future is going to be. It's yeah. just people <laughs> doing rock'em, sock'em robots. What are we talking about? I don't even know what the hell we're talking about. We've deviated very hard. It's a PlayStation podcast, guys. It is a PlayStation podcast. I swear. Sorry if I offended any of our uh, Soviet listeners. <laughs> now, Chris, there's a few notes I want to get through before we begin in earnest. For sure. Uh, new SideQuest is up. So SideQuest, as those, those of you know, is my YouTube channel. I haven't been paying a great amount of attention to it. I put up a few. I tried to put up like a few episodes a month. That kind of trickled down to like one a month. I now have a writer. Her name is Sophia. She's writing scripts. I'm kind of going over them, giving feedback, rewriting a, a bunch of stuff when necessary. Our first episode is live. It's the history of Konami. And it's uh, one that was voted on a long time ago by CLS's patrons. So we put that out in the wild. You can expect the next episode of SideQuest to go live next week. So we're really stoked about that as well. Uh, so thank you if you go and support that. And uh, likewise, E3's in a couple of weeks. We'll highlight our plans for E3 next week. My suspicion, Chris, this is I got to look at the schedule and shit like that. But I think what we'll do is we'll do a normal episode on Monday. We might do it a little later. I got. I think we might have to accommodate some like Ubisoft or so, something that's happening. Yeah. But I want to do a special episode. So very similar, like special one, two, and three were all spoiler cast. Special four will be all about Xbox. I think that we need to do one about Xbox. Yeah. And really identify and pay attention to what they're doing because they're the big player at E3. And they're really the only big one. Yeah. So it's kind of necessary. <laughs> I think that's the plan. Yeah, I well, think it's a fair plan. We'll have something more concrete for everyone next week, though, about our approach. Now, a person, a fan of uh, CLS wrote into me. He asked not to be identified. I don't know why, hmm. but he wanted to give away shirts. Now, as you know, we have new shirts for Sacred Symbols and the other CLS brands at tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts. And they're doing really great. And we appreciate that. He wanted to buy two people shirts and give them to him. Okay. And again, I don't know why strange he didn't want to be identified, but that's fine with me. But the way I, so I'm like, how am I going to do this? How, like, what's an equitable way and a fair way to find the people, you know? And so what I did was I was like, Mr. X, pick two numbers between one and 50 because he said, I want to give away two shows. I'm like, pick two numbers between one and 50. He picked numbers uh, 10 and 23 as far as I remember. And then I went into the thread for comments, questions, concerns or whatever. And I picked the 10th person and the 33rd person or whatever it was, 23rd person. And so Julio Gonzalez and Alundis, 
the two listeners, Julio Gonzalez and Alundis, you both want a free sacred symbol shirt. What I'm going to do is hook you up behind the scenes with Mr. X and he will get your information and send the shirt to you if you're interested. So there you go. Two shirts for free. Okay, cool. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. I don't mean to be long in the tooth here with a bunch of pre-show notes, Chris, but there will be new Death Stranding stuff revealed by the time the show goes live or around the time the show goes live. Really? Yeah, we're not. There's apparently a new trailer coming. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to miss that. We're going to have to talk about it next week. And there also was word that Ubisoft's own Game Pass, like an EA-style Game Pass, has leaked. And that's only leaked in the form of an image, which has since been taken down. We'll report on that next week. I, I assume Ubisoft is going to talk about that at E3, so maybe we won't even talk about it until then. But I wanted to acknowledge it, but there's nothing else to go on. Ubisoft is obviously doing its own pass. Oh, for sure, yeah. Which might be why EA was allowed on as well. Sony has a much better relationship with Ubi than EA, and my assumption is that they couldn't do one without the other without being yeah, totally it looked. It would have looked really bad. Exactly. So actually, it's interesting to connect those dots behind the scenes. Julio Gonzalez, interestingly, who I think just won the t-shirt, right? I think so. Oh, wow. I didn't even intend that. Okay. <laughs> Julio, brilliant. you're getting a lot of shine on this episode of Sacred Symbols. He says, hello, Colin the Great and Chris the Raygun. Thoughts on the Game of Thrones finale? We're a week behind on this, but I did want to bring this up. How thrilled are you that this is over? Like, I, I am so thrilled that it's just done. And we I've never seen it. I, I think I watched like a couple episodes the other day because I was like, what's this about? And yeah. I was like, All right, it's fine. I don't know. I never really cared about it that much. I like know? the man who can light his sword on fire. I forget his name. He's pretty cool. But uh, I'm glad it's over. Now, hey, I'm super excited that people liked it, but I was so tired of hearing about it. And people were getting real cavalier, Chris, on social media. Oh, yeah. Just it. assuming that everybody had seen it. I had never seen anything like that with anything where uh, I, I actually tweeted out about it. And I'm like, I don't really care. I'm not really one of those guys where I hear a spoiler and I like crumble in the dust. But <laughs> your bones just liquefy, which people are so dramatic about that shit. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just I couldn't believe that people would just spoil it for others. And, and so I tweeted out about that. And people were even upset about that being like, you got to watch it with us. And I'm like, OK, it reminds me of this story. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Okay. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Story time with Colin. Back in 2012, I was watching the show called The Killing. Mm. I don't know if you remember the show. It was on I AMC. vaguely remember it. Yeah. Netflix later finished it. And I tweeted out that I was watching this show. And I was like in the first season. I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited. It's really great. And some dude tweeted at me and spoiled the whole end. Like who the murderer was, all this kind of stuff tweeted the whole thing at me. Like like an asshole. I wrote this dude's name down. Right? This was in, this was in 2012. <laughs> I didn't say anything to him. I wrote his name down. He was a huge Last of Us fan, and he had a, like Joel. This was before, or yes, yeah, the year before Joel, uh, Last of Us came out. And he had like Joel and Ellie in his header and shit like that. So I wrote his name down, and I knew I would get the Last of Us before him, and then I would, and I was gonna spoil the shit out of it for him. That was like my whole. That was your goal. plan. And I thought about this forever, and then when the moment came, I couldn't do it. Ah, that would have been such a good story. <laughs> that would have been so good. I feel like it's kind of a story of redemption. You took because the high like, road. I was so bitter at this dude, this one dude, and I, I held it with me for so long that yeah. when June 2013 finally came around, I had the last bus. I'd beaten it before anyone. I knew exactly what happened. <laughs> By the way, people will recall that there was a bunch of spoilers going around about the game that were totally wrong. So everyone thought that they knew what the game was about, the blah, blah, blah. They were totally. I remember that so well. But you guys have no idea what you're talking about. So awesome. And I just I, I had his name. I had his Twitter handle. And I was just like, I can't I can't do it. Can't reciprocate. That, well, you took the high road. Yeah. That's character development, I guess. Yeah. Because but I, also that would have been a hell of a, a delivery on a grudge. That's a long. That's burn. a long grudge. Yeah. And that would be, almost be admirable. Yeah, Larry David. That's almost like a Larry David style. It grudge. is. <laughs> it's a very curb kind of thing. So there's a little story for you. 
Joseph Loretti wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, CNC, with E3 around the corner, what kind of surprises do you think we will see? I personally think we will get an announcement for a new Batman game from WB Montreal. It's been way too long and the studio has been rumored to be working on it. Thanks, guys, for all the amazing content. I don't know. This is I wanted to bring this up, Chris, because what are we going to do about this E3 thing? We brought up last week that I used to do E3 you know, predictions. That was like a big thing that we used to do. Everyone started copying that idea. I feel like it's not that novel or fun anymore. Like how many E3 prediction videos do you need or podcasts? Back in the day, it was awesome, you know, because no one was doing that shit. But I, I, so it's not that I'm trying to be a hipster. It's that I'm trying to provide the most value. And I know it's like, do we, so now we sit here and we play a game that everyone else plays too. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know what what we could see at E3 though. Like, I mean, I would like to see that Avengers thing that supposedly exists. Yeah. Speaking of things that we're glad that are over. I, how long has it been since they announced that? It's been like three years, If I feel like. It's been a long time. Yeah, they acknowledged it, but never like really. Did they show a logo or something? But they never, I vaguely yeah. remember a logo. I might be making that up. That might be my brain slowly hemorrhaging. But The problem with me, Chris, is that I really do have this blurry line of what's known and what's not. Yeah. Where I'm like, I, I know about things. I, I really have never given up the ghost, I don't think before like where i'm like oh oh shit uh, i said something i shouldn't have but i think that the, i mean first of all an avengers game is in development crystal dynamics is making it yeah and square enix is publishing it but i don't know that we've seen anything of it i know people that were hired onto the project and stuff but it's been a it while seems like it's, time. it's been a while since it's been leaked which means like if, it, if it's leaked at all that means it has to be in some sort of sort of production by the time it was leaked you know what i mean so it's been a while it's weird that we're not getting anything especially because all the hype from avengers has pretty much died yeah, that's so true. So it's like it's it's a weird missed opportunity there. Well, Square Enix is going to have their little Nintendo Direct style thing, so it might be Maybe, in there. Maybe, yeah. And it would be fun, or it could be at the Microsoft event. Yeah, that's possible, possible too. Yeah, as well. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'll have a more cogent idea of what I think we're going to see when we do our E3 episode, I guess, next week. But yeah, I guess I guess we'll do predictions. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, Joseph. We'll figure it out. Alex Ball wrote into us and said, hey, C-squared, I recently read an article about how one of Trump's agreements with China is raising video game tariffs from 10% to 25%. Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony all use plants in China to build the machines and thus where the tariff comes from. How do you think this may affect pricing for next generation of consoles? So funny, man, because I, I made a big video about this a few years ago about tariffs for video games. Alex, it's unclear what's going to happen. We'll have more on this as well. This could be really disastrous, actually. But I really doubt that, you know, they're, they're going to tit for tat like that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to translate one-to-one. A little trade war. Uh, but we'll have more information on that if anything happens, Alex. But very keen question to ask. And finally, Danny Atkinson wrote into us and said, Correction, you said Super Mario Odyssey had a 95 on Metacritic. It has a 97, putting it on the level of Red Dead Redemption 2 and Bioshock. The difference between a 95 and a 97 is minuscule, but I think we can all agree that if Knack was a Mario game, it would have an 80-plus on Metacritic. Uh, I don't know about I don't that. Know. I don't know if I agree with that. Maybe. I... As overhyped as Mario games tend to be, they're still pretty elegantly designed from just like a gameplay standpoint, like what you can do with the character. If Knack was reskinned as a Mario game, it might win it a little bit of favor, but it's still really just kind of like you jump once and then you beat things up by pressing square. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it would have saved it all that way. I think that would have been the awakening point. If, if that was a Mario game, people would be like, what the hell? I was kind of enraged though by this. It is score. way high. 97. How, how, what's Mario 64's? I don't know if it even has a meta score because it's so old. Old know? games have meta scores though, don't they? Well, I guess with newer reviews, but I'd be more, they don't go back and like say like, this is what GamePro gave it in 1996, I don't think, right? Like I'd be way more interested in contemporary reviews than people looking back at games, like yeah. on virtual console and shit. I don't know. 
I guess that would be interesting to see. Mario 64 obviously was very well regarded and is very well regarded. But yeah, I when I saw that, my, my rage actually built up even more because I'm like, that's come on, man. I played that game. <laughs> Odyssey is not Bioshock. No, not Odyssey is not even the third or fourth or fifth best Mario game. Like there's there's Mario three's better, Super Mario World's better, Galaxy's better, sixty four's better. I like, I like it more better. than I like it more than Galaxy. It's because you're a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I have cracks all over my skull. Oh my god, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You yeah, have an it. interesting one here, Crash Team yeah, Racing. Yeah, so I'm going. I PS one. I've gone back to the original Crash Team Racing to uh, you know get some of the muscle memory back. Uh, hopefully improve because apparently, and I've heard from multiple people who have played the game that I trust, the new remastered one that's coming out on the 21st of June, that it's shockingly faithful to the gameplay systems of the original, which means my incredible skill will tra will translate fairly easily. Excellent. And I will thrash uh, literally all all souls. Excellent. And also, I have to practice because I have a bet going on. Oh. Yes, oh, the bet we made here on the, the show. The bet we made on the show that I have, right. to, I have to get uh, the Platinum Trophy or else I owe somebody a PS5. Don't remember who that was. I'll yeah, go back to I, that. I do remember. I think it was Azan, and, uh, who's a, a prolific listener of ours. And uh, yeah, and I think I think Azan lives in Oman. I think that we were talking about that. We yeah. have to somehow get him a PS5 to the <laughs> we'll, Middle East. We'll figure it out. Well, yeah. By the way, I, I don't know what's going on because my shirts are our shirts. I've only had two complaints from people. Our shirts don't ship to Kuwait, which was a little weird to me. Kuwait's a, a wealthy, safe yeah, place. I don't really get. But then they don't they don't deliver to Israel. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. We have a we have a big Middle, East, Middle Eastern fan base and we have a lot of Israeli fans. Yeah. So I'm sorry about that as well. Isn't that a little strange? That's bizarre. So have fun getting your PS5 over there because not even my merchant guys will yeah, fucking send huh. anything over there. I'll figure, we'll, we'll figure something out. So you're playing Crash Team Racing, boning up. As yeah, it were, I'm pretty confident bones. that I can do it, by the way. I'm confident. Well, yeah, we do. You see, this is what I think is so bold about your proclamation is that we don't know what the list is yet. So I believe you. But there could be, you know, like in Resistance 2, there was like there was a trophy to get 10,000 online kills. And everyone's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no one got that trophy. I just don't want you to yeah. run into something like that. Like, drive one million miles and crash. If it's something like that, that's like physically impossible then i guess i'll have to like take the loss on that right. but it's also like come on i believe in you i can get every everything that's possible for a human being to achieve i can do it i do believe that everything that's possible for a human being to achieve generally you can do it mm -hmm. chris i've still been playing rage too i promise this will be the last week we talk about it because i feel like we've talked about this game too much actually yeah but i just have this evolving and really complicated relationship with this game i i can't really put it into words. I tried to on Twitter the other day where I was just like, I want to play Doom. The, the the game makes me just want to play Doom. I think it's something that you had said because the kinetic, fast gameplay that's really supposed to have inertia where it's really never supposed to stop moving is so good, but then it just stops. Yeah. And the driving is just not that good. The world, I don't mind that the world's empty. It's just, I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it doesn't what is, feel what? as necessary. It yeah. doesn't feel necessary for the world to be as empty as it is or as big as it is because the driving isn't as, as as good as it really could be. Yeah, I actually got around to kind of liking the driving and learning how to do like the handbrake turns and shit and chaining things together that way. But it's still like the weakest part of the game to me. And it just feels it feels like the Batmobile in uh, Arkham Knight where it's just like I have to go in this thing again. And there's no real easy way to like... S Oh no! There actually is a way to summon vehicles. That's yeah, you at can least, spawn them. Do you get the uh, the weird little uh, helicopter thing that you sit in? No, that thing's really helpful because you just you just walk over the map. You basically just fly way over the map. It feels like a dev tool. Oh, <laughs> like, that's honestly. cool because I feel like the quick travel system is really limited because you can only quick travel to like major 
like you know encampments or yeah, whatever. There's no. like only a few of them. No, it yeah, kind of sucks. You can summon this weird like little like almost like you know those like those helicopter things that l- used to look like bicycles. Yeah. Like, it's almost like one of those that you can just fly over the map and it goes pretty fast. So that, that made traveling a little bit more fun and a little less tedious. But still, I agree. It's, it, it really does come down to the fact that the kinetic force of, the, of the, every combat encounter is really good. And it just makes you want that consistently. And it reminds you of the last thing that gave you that consistently. And that was Doom. Yeah, so. absolutely. So it makes me more excited for Doom Eternal, actually. I was already excited for Doom Eternal. Maybe that was the tinfoil, uh, tinfoil hat uh, point of it. It could be. Get Tyler wrote into us, Chris, on Patreon. Says, hey, fellas, have you guys noticed more and more of a disconnect between traditional games media outlets and the public when it comes to games? Games like Days Gone and Rage 2 seem to be divisive between critics and the consumers. Is this just proving how irrelevant game reviews are becoming? Thanks, guys. I don't know if that game reviews are becoming irrelevant, Tyler. I think the way people are reviewing them on mainstream game sites are probably becoming irrelevant. But I will say Rage 2 doesn't seem to be a great game to anyone, like almost anyone. Like, I think a lot of people like it. Mm-hmm. I think people understand what it is, but I don't I'm not so sure I'm seeing a, a major div- divide with Rage 2. Days Gone is one of the most divisive games and one of the games that I think the, the critics got most wrong in a long time. And I don't know. I, and again, I explain that Occam's Razor, simplest explanation, right? It tends to be the right one. I think it's just that they played ga- the game too early. I, again, I blame Days Gone's reception entirely on Sony's PR. Like entirely on their marketing plan, entirely on their want to get that game out too early. That's their fault. And so the game that consumers are playing is not the game that I played when I started playing. It's not the game Chris played when he started playing because it doesn't that game doesn't exist anymore. And when I say, I'll just say it again, that game was broken. It was until it was, version one point zero three. It was. It, it was, was like, It was like nearing Fallout seventy six levels of broken. It was fun. It was, it was fucked. like it was wild. There was all sorts of weird shit. I, I get. I think I told you guys, and either when we talked about it on here or in the in the uh, spoiler cast, I very rarely communicate with PR to tell them something's wrong with the game when I'm playing it, because I'm like I send them the review, thank them for their work, they can they can read the review and stuff. But I actually reached out to Sony about Days Gone when I was playing. I'm like something is really wrong with this game, you know, and like gave them all the complaints that I was I was hearing, and they're like the update should fix it, and they were communicating with me. So yeah. I, I just say that because I've been doing this for a long time and I rarely have a correspondence like that where I'm like, I don't think the game you sent me even functions right. Like, they're like you know, there, no matter how many times I restart it, no matter how many times I put it into, you know, whatever. Yeah, so. There's definitely a good case to be made, but I also think it is just one of those games where you really either really like it or really, really don't. It, I, I've grown to really, my opinion on that game is like soured so badly. Days Over, Gone? Yeah, I mm. just, I hate the character. I hate every character. Boozer, I hate him. Hate I hate that. It's just, the, I don't know. Deacon St. John. I just wish that the game didn't rip you away from the game so much. And I think that's what's good about Rage, like the game part of it, like the combat and like the dance of combat is like so good. And then it tries to be an experience. And I think that's when it kind of falters. I have no idea what's going on in Rage, by the way. No, like, me neither. No idea what the story is. No idea why I'm doing anything. It's very, it's very, uh... Not even B movie. It feels like a it feels like a Bollywood kind of action movie where like people are like throwing helicopters or like spin kicking forty times. Yeah, it's just like ridiculous. I will say, I will say, dude, the one thing that I am impressed with with Rage Two to gush a little bit about it are the enemy animations are really great. Yeah, the way people like uh, the way their armor like comes off in chunks when you shoot them Mm -hmm. and they actually react dynamically to where they they get hit. Stumble and like that was a big that was a big thing in the original Rage Two, if I recall correctly. I remember that was being like a kind of like a selling point that the enemies would react kind of realistically. It's cool. 
to bullet impact. I love the dudes that like use baseball bats to like hit grenades and stuff. Like there's a lot of really cool I shit. I love, like that. by the way, that when you can melee grenades back at people, mm. that's amazing. I love that. I wish that was in more games. It's, it's such a satisfying feeling. They have something here. That's what's so interesting is that this is running on Apex Engine, which is Avalanche's engine. They have experience in third person, you know, open world games. But I am also wondering, Chris, this was a question I was asking about Avalanche. They were responsible for Just Cause. That's what we know them for best. Generation they Zero. They did Generation Zero, which is horrible. They did now this game and they've done a few others. I'm wondering if Avalanche actually isn't quite AAA. Like they're like on the border i'd never really avalanche has, has always been to me just kind of like this polished middle market game like just cause is not a great game no i agree like they're not great games at all but they're fun and they're they're, they're just physics engines really <laughs> they're just like playhouses it's like the old mercenaries games it's just like you play this and it's fun and it functions and it's enjoyable but this isn't like bioshock or or uh you know a, a modern halo or a, or a call of duty or anything like that it's it's just dumb fun right Exactly. And, and I'll always be puzzled, Chris. I will, that game Generation Zero, I just don't understand where that game came from. I don't understand why they made that game. Like, what is it? How can you make, how can this, I know they have a, again, I know they have a studio in Stockholm. They have a studio in New York City. But how can the same brand with the same kind of, how can they make Rage 2 and, and Generation Zero? And how shitty does the team that made Generation Zero feel, at least, compared to the guys that made, it's very weird. It's a very weird situation for me. Micah Josiah Borison. That's a hell of a name. Michael Josiah Borison. Sounds like a villain in, uh, in like a Wolfenstein game. He wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, new patron, and I'm glad I made the pledge to the first podcast I've ever listened to. Thank you very much. Oh, Welcome. Thank you. Wow. You are a podcast virgin until right now. Last week's episode, when you guys were talking about Rage 2, I was not surprised by how it is only 20 hours or so long. I played the first Rage game and it had a similar feel to the Fallout series and had a good mix of being linear and nonlinear. However, when you think when you get to the point in the game where you think it's going to get good, it ends. Definitely a great game, but wish there was more gameplay and seems like they didn't fix that for the second installment. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny, man, because my my remembrance of the original va Rage is just so vague. It was so long ago. I played it. I don't know how, how I think I played it for five hours, ten hours. I feel like I would have had a, gr a much better time with Rage if they literally if they just unrealistically filled the map with enemies. Be like awesome. to the point where it was ridiculous. That would be so much fun, actually. I'm sure that there's like a mod on PC for that by now, but like it's a great idea. It's and if there isn't, please get on it. Yeah, I just don't know what the, what's going on in the game. That's my major thing. <laughs> Chris, let's get into the news, shall we? Let's do we it. Have quite a bit to get through. The first one is pretty big. We're gonna have to get through some statistics here. Oh, this no. is all really interesting stuff, though. Okay, I think you'll find it interesting anyway. I'll take your word. Number one. Sony has released a new presentation from its PlayStation arm, which gives us a bunch of new data about both current gen and next gen initiatives. Naturally, Chris, I poured through the entire document. Of course. For starters, Sony has confirmed that three first party exclusives have surpassed 10 million sold each. God of War, Uncharted 4, Thief's End, and The Last of Us. Now, I don't know that this is limited only to these games. This was in the presentation, but I think games like Horizon also sold 10 million. Did Spider-Man not sell 10 million? I think Spider-Man sold 10 million too. I think the reason that they highlighted these in their presentation was because they all come from franchises. The, what's interesting about The Last of Us is that The Last of Us is only one game released twice and it's sold more than 20, 20 million units according to its data, which is unbelievable. So that's why they're taking their time, I assume. So yeah, there's that. Sony's brand relevance data shows that it is the third most relevant consumer brand in Britain, which is, it's always been very popular there, the seventh most relevant in Germany, and the 13th most relevant in the US. PlayStation Network has an amazing 94 million monthly users with 90% of all consoles sold having connected to PSN in the last year and with the average player spending 21 hours per week on his or her console. 
There are now more than 36 million PlayStation Plus users worldwide. In an interesting graphic within the presentation, Sony confirms what it has and hasn't talked about when it comes to this next-gen machine. I've never seen a graphic like this. This is basically a graphic. You guys can go look it up where it says, like, this is what we have said about next-gen, and this is what we have not said. It's really amazing. That's weird. So, so That's weird that they would say things that they have not said because that makes them things that they have said. Yeah, that's interesting. That's weird. It says here, it has talked about its CPU, GPU, hard drive, the fact that it's backwards compatible with the PS4, that it supports discs, 3D audio, some sort of 8K playback and ray tracing. Sony has yet to talk about the system's release date, price, any games, the so-called user experience or how or when it comes to various countries around the world. So they were really clear about that. As far as PlayStation 4 is concerned, the presentation notes that the console, quote, will remain the engine of engagement and profitability for the next three years, end quote, and seems to indicate that The Last of Us Part II, Ghost of Tsushima, and perhaps most interestingly, Death Stranding are all PS4 bound. So that's another interesting piece of information. PS4 seems to be, it's going to have a three year long tail. So it looks like they're going to rely upon most PlayStation gamers playing that console into 2022. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that means PS5 won't be out by then. I think it means that they're going to have to slowly wean people off. It's not a great sign, actually, about their thought processes behind just immediately transferring players to the new console. Yeah. But we'll see how that all goes. Around 5% of PS4's user base actively utilizes remote play across various non-Vita platforms, and PlayStation now totes about 700,000 subscribers. The 700,000 subscribers worldwide is a 40% year-on-year growth. It's available in 19 countries to date, with 780 games available from 170 publishers. Interestingly, Sony isn't pleased with the 40% growth rate, and it wants to push a 50% growth rate, moving towards 5 million subscribers. So that's all of the data I thought was relevant. In that presentation. It's kind of interesting. Anything in here that sticks out to you? It's kind of interesting that PlayStation now has 100,000 more subscribers than I do. <laughs> but just one. That's that's kind of weird. That's a higher number than I thought. It is definitely a higher number than I thought. But Paying... It's also kind of weird to see a number that I recognize. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? no, definitely. That's a small number. I mean, that's a, for by Sony standards, that's a really small number. And they want to push it to 5 million ultimately. And they really do show. People should go read the, the, uh, the entire presentation. It's interesting. They really do stress over and over again streaming constantly over and over again Mm -hmm. they constantly talk about it it's gonna be big maybe yeah well maybe we'll see and they even have the uh, memorandum of understanding with microsoft in that uh, in that presentation as well number two the mpd group which tracks retail and digital game sales in the united states has released its sales data for the month of april 2019 Overall, between all platforms in the U.S., Mortal Kombat 11 was April's best-selling game, though it's followed by two PlayStation 4 exclusives in second and third place, Days Gone and MLB The Show 19. Other notable games include The Division 2 at 4, Sekiro at 7, and Borderlands Game of the Year Edition at 20. If you only track games sold on PS4 specifically, the top three games look the same. Mortal Kombat 11, Days Gone, and MLB Show the, MLB the Show 19. The Division 2 and Sekiro round out the top five. MPD's data year-to-date has Kingdom Hearts 3 as 2019's best-selling game so far, with Mortal Kombat 11 and The Division 2 and Anthem and Resident Evil 2 Remake making up the top five. The only PS4 exclusive game on the list is MLB The Show 19 at 10. Anthony Gigi wrote into us on Patreon, Chris, and he says, Good day, gentlemen. Even with mediocre reviews, Days Gone seems to have placed second on the list of best-selling games of the month behind Mortal Kombat 11. Does this mean the game is considered a success? Will Ben get a crack at another game, or do you think sales will fall short of Sony's expectations? I'm still currently playing it, but I like it enough to see where they can take the franchise if Sony will allow them to do so, or if this end, if this ending of a warrant, or if the ending will warrant a sequel at all. Stay gold, my peeps. The ending, the real ending, obviously, if you beat the game 100%, clearly indicates that there'll be a sequel. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it's a success by Sony's standards, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think they're perfectly happy. I don't I know that they're not happy with the Metacritic score. It's no, not for sure. It's not what I heard with the expectation based on mock reviews. The expectation based on mock reviews was higher than it certainly higher than they got. 
which is rare. Usually, like The Last of Us, I heard in, internally reviewed it in an eight and it ended up at a 95 on Metacritic. So that's a better story for them. But I think it did really well. It sold really well in Britain, where they're very granular with sales data. It sold very well in Japan, where they're very granular with their sales data. It's number two in the United States. It's pretty clear the game was big. And yeah, so I think Sony Bend is in the clear, and I think you're going to get a sequel. I assume the sequel will come probably in short order. I would assume you'd get it by 2022, the latest. I'm sure it'll be. A, and by the way, I bet you it'll be a PS4 and PS5 game. Why throw away all the work you did on that engine? It's the same thing I feel about with Horizon. It's such a shame that you made this world and made this, you know, made Decima run this game and so like that, and then you have to kind of yeah. abandon your work. Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely going to be cross, cross-platform. I hope so. Or not cross-platform, but uh, cross-generational. Number three. It should come as no surprise that a new Call of Duty game is coming this fall. After all, a new Call of Duty game has been released each fall for about 15 years running. What may come as a surprise, though, is that the new Call of Duty game is simply called Modern Warfare meaning it shares its name with Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, which was launched back in 2007 and is arguably the most famous and beloved Call of Duty game of all time. Kotaku relays word of the game's title, which it also has confirmed from at least one YouTuber who has said so publicly, as well as multiple sources who have said so behind the scenes. Kotaku describes the game as a soft reboot and Infinity Ward, the studio behind Call of Duty 4, and the next up in line in Activision's long-running Call of Duty development schedule is behind it. Interestingly, Kotaku says the following, quote, It'll be heavy on troubling, realistic, emotional moments, very much inspired by the controversial No Russian campaign in Modern Warfare 2 that allowed the players to gun down civilians, end quote. Call of Duty Modern Warfare will presumably be out this November. That's really cool. But also, I feel like every Call of Duty that isn't like a sequel to the last one directly, like a Modern Warfare 2 to a Modern Warfare 1, I feel like they've all been kind of soft reboots, haven't sure. they? Yeah. Like they don't follow the same people. Yeah, no, they don't. It's a weird, I don't know, that's a little weird. I don't think I played the newest Modern Warfare, but yeah, the, no, they don't traditionally. And yeah, I, I feel like people were making fun of this online and I'm like, I don't know, I there's God of War and there's Doom and, yeah. you know, there's already a bunch of them. It's very silly. But Corey Savas wrote into us and said there are now three different games titled Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. When will the madness stop? <laughs> I, I, I understand, but I just who's really going to be confused by this? One game came out in 2007. One game is a remastered version of it. And then there's a new game. It's yeah, it's it's a little bit weird just because I've never seen a game use the same name after like a, a colon like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've never seen, like, Spider-Man 2, The Legend Strikes Back or whatever the hell, twice. It's, it is a weird kind of thing. But at the same time, it's we should be used to this by now. It's better than them calling it 4 and them using that really obscure Roman numeral that's the four dashes, which is technically real, you know, instead of using IV, which yeah. is real Roman numerals. That always bothered me with the black. I think I was Black Ops. Black yeah, Ops 4. I thought they were doing, like, a tally marks kind of thing. Yeah, it remains to be clear because there are Roman, like, ruins that represent fours, four lines. But four obviously is I V. Anyway, Hector Whatever. Sanchez. It doesn't really matter, Chris. Nah, I don't give a shit. Hector Sanchez Collar wrote into us and said, Hey CNC, with the recent rumors swirling around COD Modern Warfare with it having, and I quote the Kotaku article, and he quotes what we just said about killing civilians. Do you think this has a place in a time where people get easily offended? No Russian was polarizing when it came out, and I can't imagine the reception this will get when it comes out this time. Personally, I find this angle fascinating. Recently, Call of Duty has been really uneventful, and I really didn't care for the characters or story, and some much-needed sense of danger and consequence is all I need for Call of Duty to be interesting for me. What are your thoughts, and thanks for making Tuesdays fun and easy to get through. Indeed, we make them Tuesdays great again, Hector. Now, Chris, what do you think about this? This is interesting because I don't think I can't blame Activision for this, but it seems like the people are eager to talk about behind the scenes that it's going to be like real controversial. Yeah. How do you feel about controversy first for a Call of Duty game? That seems 
no Russian was very controversial. He's right. It was very yeah. controversial. And uh, I feel like it, it would be way more controversial now, obviously. Uh, for sure. But I, I like the idea of pushing boundaries and putting agency in players' hands. I walked through the airport in North Russia and I didn't shoot anybody. Yeah. You know? So if you walk through the airport and shot everyone in there, it's interesting. I don't think that makes you a fucking murderer. But it's, I didn't. So like, in other words, like, it's kind of still up to you how you play it. I'm I'm interested. In, this is actually kind of got me interested in Call of Duty again. Just the just the premise of this. But at the same time, I do think there's a weird like if you're saying like this is going to be real controversial, guys. I wonder if you're actually putting a good game first or just making a game that's shocking for the sake of being shocking. That's the worst case scenario is that it's just kind of like this stuff that's shocking for the sake of, you know, getting a reaction. But, I mean, I think, d- does it have a place now when people are easily offended? Yeah, I'd argue it has the most of a place now. I feel like it could actually make an impact now. Whereas before, it was really just kind of, it was controversial, but really only on, like, Fox News and, like, maybe CNN. Right, it was like, for the, like, mass a week, of, it was like the Mass Effect sex on Fox News. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> I had the video saved. That was awesome. I loved that so much. No, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. And, you know, they, I guess they can do a similar option. If, for people that played Modern Warfare 2, you'll recall that the game does warn you that this is going to happen but way before it does and it gives you the option to just remove it from the game so it never happens at all so it like it's not in your sequence of missions and they could do something similar but i actually think them doing that just gave it way more gravitas like i think that if they didn't make a warning and they didn't say anything about it and they just gave that game out i, I think based on the way games media was at that time that they probably would have gotten away with it a lot more easy or easier than they did now more easily yeah jesus christ i can't speak not for sure all right let's move on number four Last week, we relayed word that Sony was officially seizing control of its PlayStation-related movie initiatives with the founding of PlayStation Productions. Now, according to IGN, we already have word on what the first so-called production will be, Twisted Metal. And it won't be a movie, but a television show. Sony Vin- Vincicchiera, the chairman of and CEO of Sony Pictures, said during an investor presentation, and, and just listen to how old man this guy sounds, right? <laughs> says that, quote, we have a TV show we just agreed to get underway that will be developed from the IP on PlayStation. It's called Twisted Metal. It's a game that we put out many years ago, and we're going to develop a TV show around that, end quote. Further details, including release timing and what channel or service it may end up on, remains to be seen. The same presentation, according to IGN, also noted that some sort of Uncharted movie is in advanced development, in quotes. Also, presumably through PlayStation Productions. Hey, a Twisted Metal show on PSN would be interesting. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You got to put exclusives in shows like this on PlayStation Network. Yeah, but I also think it's a horrendous idea. That's a really weird one. It's a weird. I feel like Ratchet and Clank is prime, like prime material for that. But I mean, all right. They did the cartoon movie, right? Already, yeah. Though. Apparently, I, that was. I, was, I didn't was hear anything bad good. about it. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, something cartoony like revive Sly Cooper or yeah, do Ratchet, or then you know, there's also these great opportunities like with Days Gone or something like make a a, a show with real people exploring that world, set it in Central Oregon. Yeah. You know, have some sort of tether. I, I would really like for them to have enough foresight, and I'm sure they do. To, and I know that this is kind of like what happened with that, not Alan Wake, but what Quantum was that? Break. Quantum Break, where they had the TV kind of real. Yeah. So I know that this is not like unprecedented, but doing something like that would be pretty cool. I thought like, it was cool when I played Quantum Break. I thought it was kind of neat. It yeah. wasn't a fantastic game or anything, but like it was definitely a neat experience. Now, Chris, this next one, I'm concerned about you, so I want to read this one. Number five. <laughs> According to the World Health Organization, addiction to video games is such a powerful ailment that it has been recognized and categorized in the so- as a so-called disease in its International Classification of Diseases, or ICD, according to NBC News. The ICD-11 describes gaming disorder as, quote, 
characterized by a pattern of persistent or recurrent gaming behavior, which may be online or offline, manifested by impaired control over gaming and or increased priority given to gaming to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities and or continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. The behavior pattern is of sufficient severity to result in significant impairment of personal, family, social, educational, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. The pattern of gaming behavior may be continuous or episodic and recurrent. The gaming behavior and other features are normally evident over a period of at least 12 months in order for a diagnosis to be assigned, although the required duration may be shortened if all diagnostic requirements are met and symptoms are severe, end quote. The World Health Organization is a United Nations-aligned body founded in 1948 and is a widely respected global authority on medicine and health. What do you think of this? This just sounds like addiction. It's just addiction. It's just addiction. It's Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> what a weird... Why I, guess, th- I guess it helps to specify what the person's addicted to, I suppose. Uh, that's relevant information for anybody who wants to help them. But it, this is the same shit that we've always had. This is just addiction. It's weird, right? Like, I really have an issue... And I've been really grappling with this with myself, especially with some personal relationships that I have. And like, you know, I'm, I'm 34. I, I you become a man of of rhythms. Right. Mm. And I kind of resent this idea. It kind of touches on it here where not completely. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm taking a little bit out of context, but this idea that like to be healthy, you have to have vibrant social lives like you have to interface with every member of your family if you're not thrilled at work. Like, you know, it's this. I like sitting on my couch and playing video games. That makes me happy. I like reading books. I don't want to be around people all the time. I don't often. You're one of the only people I ever like being around, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like this idea of like, you know, they they talk about the consequences or occurrence of negative consequences or priority given to gaming that takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities. And they call it, you know, that these are these are important activities. And now I agree. Significant impairment of personal, family, social, educational, occupational or other important areas of functioning. But my whole thing is, is like, I don't know that an impairment of social or personal or even I don't want to say anything else other than that. That's really none of, no one's business. in a it, sense. Well, it, If it's, it's affecting also, your job or education or something, I guess that's different. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's also like kind of like important is kind of subjective as long as like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like health is important, like physical, like if, if you're, you know, dying, it's probably unhealthy. <laughs> you know, that's objectively true. But like, I mean, is it really all that unhealthy to avoid people if they're complete? assholes I, mean, I don't know it seems like a weird it's a weird line to draw i agree i i have no problem with this existing i mean that's fine the weird thing too is i so i went into the world i went into the icd 11 to start reading shit in it and so i pulled up gaming disorder which is in there and there were these links to other things on the side other like and one of the, and they were linking out to bipolar disorder hmm. and i was like are they finding with their information that gamers are more bipolar than the average person. Like, why are these the suggested links? I, I just thought that that was peculiar as well. That, that is kind of weird. That yeah. weird tether. Sean Huseman wrote into us, said, hey, Colin and Chris, what are your thoughts on Sony recently say they want to help combat video game addiction by possibly limiting the amount of time you can play games? If this is just another parental control option, then that's fine. But it also sounds like Sony is trying to tell people what they can and can't do with their own time. Besides the whole gaming addiction thing being pretty much a joke and can apply to literally any hobby someone has. What are your thoughts on this? I got to say, Sean, I didn't say Sony. I didn't see Sony uh, saying anything about this, but the, the studio or the, the first party that limits the amount of time you can play on a console is the first party that's going to fucking disappear, like smoke up a chimney. Yeah. So I, I can pretty much guarantee you that that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That's such a bad idea on like every front. 
Unless it is a parental control, then I have no problem. Yeah, if Sony was like, to combat gaming addiction, you can only play PlayStation 5 for 20 hours a week. I'm like, okay, I'm playing Xbox. Yeah, that would, people would switch immediately. That's insane. That's not going to happen. You're safe. No, don't worry. Don't worry. Everyone's worried. Don't worry. Everything's fine. You got to lighten up, everybody. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun world out there. Oh, it's great. It's a great world. Number six, in celebration of the launch of the infamous series, which came out 10 years ago, Sony-owned studio Sucker Punch, currently hard at work on PS4 exclusive Ghost of Tsushima, tweeted out some interesting new details and videos about the original game. As you recall, PlayStation 3's two core infamous games, Infamous and Infamous 2, came out in 2009 and 2011. Fucking awesome games. With PS4's Infamous Second Son coming in early 2014, that was a good game, but not as good as the first two. In a series of tweets, Sucker Punch confirmed that the game was originally called True Hero and that they even had a mock-up of the game's initial teaser made up with that name as it was originally unclear if the infamous name would be clear would clear trademarks in time for its E3 2007 reveal. So that's a really interesting first piece of uh, a detail. And they did release, you know, that famous, it's like a manhole cover with the infamous logo on it. They released a rendering of it like lightning up and it says True Hero. It's really startling, actually. It's kind of weird. It's like, it's like uncanny, right? So I'm not going to share everything, but people should go to Sucker Punch Productions Twitter account. It's at Sucker Punch Prod, P-R-O-D. And they have a full thread with videos of like Cole riding a motorcycle and like customization options for buildings and all this weird shit. It's really, really interesting. A lot of it is clearly also running on PS2, which I think is very cool because they were probably mocking it up on PS2. You have to remember these guys made Sly Cooper before they made Infamous. So really interesting stuff. And happy 10th anniversary to Infamous, one of the very best Sony exclusives. And we're so excited about Ghost of Tsushima. Really yeah. excited about that. Really, really excited. That's really cool. Yeah. I wish more devs did stuff like that for like milestones or like 10 year anniversaries and stuff. Me too. When I went and did the history of Insomniac, they let me walk out with a Bible for a game that they never made called, uh, it was called Girl with, no, was it Girl with a, no, that was a different game. They showed me a bunch of different games. It was like a Pokemon type game that Insomniac was working on. I wish I still had remember the name of it. It's called like Monster Hunt or something, something like that. Something like, yeah, yeah. And it's real, and they gave it to me. They're like, you can tell the world about this game we were gonna make. And so I, t- I wrote this whole story about this game that never came out from Insomniac that was supposed to be on PS2. And they have all. It's cool that all these studios have these little secrets. And to your point, I don't understand why they're so closely held. Like, yeah. why? Why couldn't we have known that Infamous was called True Hero? I think we might have known that for a little while, yeah. like back in the day. But why couldn't we have seen the rendering? Like, who cares? I get, I get back in the day because like, well, when if you have a new property, you don't want like confusing marketing materials. I can understand that, but like 10 years later, it's like, I think that's interesting. I think it's great. It's just a part of history, really. It's just like lost, these lost gems of like the internal development cycle. I think it's super cool. And I think a lot of people are interested in that stuff. I think it's like the God of War movies, like the develop, the, what is it? The documentary documentary is so good. Yeah, because that was really the first, I haven't watched, uh, watched it yet, but I was reading excerpts of it and like, I guess, essential excerpts of it and hearing Shannon Sudstill, who I I really admire. I really like her a lot. She's the head of Sony Santa Monica. Really here. I guess they finally expressed about the game, the the Stig Admison space game that was canceled. I mean, I broke that story back at IGN that that game was canceled and they laid that team off, which was a horrible day. It was a really bad story for me to write. I hated it. I had to write it, but it was really unfortunate. And they really just never went into how much of a disaster that game was. The game was a disaster. And I wish that they would just show us the game. Just show, like, like, what does it hurt to say, like, we we made God of War after this. Look, look, look at what, how fucked up this was. And like, look at what can happen if you, yeah. if you just reboot it. Like, sit down and tell the story. It's not as embarrassing, I, I think, as they think it is. It's just, it's not. It's not embarrassing to say, like, hey, we spent millions of dollars on this game. It wasn't coming together. We respect you enough not to try to sell it. I, I th- and so here it is. That'd be neat. Yeah. Have a PSX panel about it. You That'd know? be cool. Yeah. I, I always encourage these publishers to be more open. 
It, For, this no, whole, the whole culture of secrecy is fucking weird. I'm not saying the first party culture of secrecy is weird. You have to protect your proprietary technology. You don't want people to know the games are in development. But when you look at movies or TV shows, it's not like this. I, I don't understand why it's like this in games. And I think it's because we accept it, to be perfectly honest with you, as normal. But it's not normal. Not normal. Yeah. Normal. It might also just be harder to keep secrets with film just because you have to go to places to mm. film. You have to rent mm. sound stages and do all this stuff. Whereas like a game development's pretty much internal. That's a good point. Number seven. Is EA's and Respawn's free, or I'm sorry, hit free-to-play Battle Royale Apex Legends falling off a popularity cliff? Well, maybe. A story from website Eurogamer relays data from research firm Superdata, which notes that the game's revenue is down nearly four times over from its launch month, with $92 million made in February compared to $24 million in April. Eurogamer notes that Superdata's information comes alongside admittedly anecdotal details indicating a drop in Apex Legends' overall player base, including a substantial drop in Twitch viewership. Even at $20 million plus in monthly revenue, however, there's a great chance that Apex Legends remains profitable for EA. Unfortunately, the data makes it impossible to figure out how much money the game is making on PlayStation 4 specifically and how that data tracks over time. So not a huge surprise, but it is interesting because people were really hard on me when I said Apex Legends was a weird game that came out of nowhere. I don't understand it. It was a big hit, but it seems like it might have been ephemeral. Four times drop off in two months is not good, but I still think that the game, even if they were making $15 million, a month on Apex Legends. You have to assume that that's making profit. But here's the fucked up part, Chris. Let's call back. Okay. Let's call back. Call back, call back. To a previous episode. You'll recall that Respawn took the Titanfall 3 team and put them on Apex Legends, mm-hmm. thus canceling or at least shelving a new Titanfall game for this game that seems to be dropping off a cliff. That's annoying. So I'll be interested to see if they can not save it because I think it's fine. But if they can boost it back up, because otherwise we lost a single player game in the immediacy or in the more immediate future so they can support this game, which is now running into a, a, a not the trouble anthems running into a Apparently people can't even find games to play anymore, which mm. is horrifying, you know, much more expensive game to make than Apex Legends. But anyway, what do you think of this? Do you have any info? Because you played Apex Legends and, and yeah. people really like it. I mean, what is it about this lack of gravity? It doesn't seem to be keeping its audience. I think the main issue is that they're, they're not updating it as frequently as Fortnite is. Because Fortnite's popping out an update like every like every week, every week and a half maybe. And uh, Apex has just been content to like, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll just update it. Uh, we'll have really big updates every couple months, which is good for a quality standpoint, I guess. But like, it's not going to retain players. People are going to go to the thing that's constantly updated. Because that's the cycle that we're currently living in. I think it's a weird cycle. I prefer games to be as consistent as possible for a long time. But like, that's just me, I guess. I don't know. It's a strong shooter, but it's it's. I feel like it'd be a better shooter if it wasn't a battle royale. Like the way it plays is great. It's fun. It's fun to slide down a mountain at like a hundred miles an hour. That's awesome. Just let me do it in a team deathmatch, or do, let me do it in like a, a a thing that's consistently engaging, as opposed to this battle royale where I'm just walking. It's like rage. It's like the open. It's like the open world parts in rage, where it's like, oh my god, the combat's so good. Why aren't I in combat yeah, like, where right now? Where is everybody? Yeah, where is all the fun? I wonder, Chris. Like, what would stop them from giving people those options? Like, what would stop them from saying, like, here, here's team deathmatch. Here's here's every man for himself or capture the flag or whatever. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I'm, I don't know. Like, why understand. does it have to just be Battle Royale? You know, why can't it be a suite? Yeah, it, I think it'd be a super smart idea to just like start off with a free Battle Royale, get people in and then add more modes, especially if you design. I mean, the game is designed around hero characters, so you can have you could easily have like a team deathmatch with like 4v4 or something. I don't see why that would be a problem. Yeah, that's actually really interesting, Chris. I never really thought about that. Like 
we have build your game out yeah exactly because we have these shooter suites that we're used to in call of duty and, and battlefield and stuff that give you all these options and then battlefield of course and call of duty both introduce battle royale but now it's not happening on the other end in other words, I, I know that people like this Battle Royale shit. I've never played a Battle Royale game in my life, by the way. So I'm, I'm speaking out of my ass on this. But I feel like you would just want more options. If you if you were attracted to Fortnite, why wouldn't you be attracted to that gameplay in a different phase? Why wouldn't you even be attracted to Fortnite with a campaign? Even if you had to play with, like, other people. Even if it's a four-person campaign. Like, if I were at, at Epic, I would just make Fortnite everything. Yeah. Give, give them a fucking campaign. Give them single, make a fucking turn-based, card-based role-playing well, game. Well, Fortnite's make, you know, an know. interesting one because it, it started off as like a cooperative horde mode game, and then they added the battle royale. They, like I, I believe you had to pay for the for the cooperative horde mode mode thing, and then they added a free battle royale mode, and that exploded, and then that pretty much took center stage. Right. But Apex is just like here's a free battle royale. It's like why not why not use the money that you've clearly got. To add more options, because I would play, I would actually play Apex Legends if I just didn't have to do the Battle Royale thing. Because the gameplay of, like, in the feel of the characters and the shooting feels good. Yeah. But I'm not going to play it if I have to fucking sit through this stupid shit. You did say something really interesting, that they're releasing the content slower than Epic is at Respawn. I do want to give them, to be fair, I want to give EA and Respawn credit, because they did say publicly in a blog post that we're not going to crunch on this at all. Oh, and, for sure. And I, I do respect that. But at the same time, I kind of don't. Because if you don't want your shit to get eaten on the market, then you better fucking support it. You know, like, that's fine. If you guys want to work 40-hour yeah. weeks and, and be normal and healthy, I respect that. Just understand your game's going to get fucking destroyed. And the big thing yeah. that, that differentiated... <laughs> that's the end of that. The, one of the bigger things that differentiated Fortnite from Apex also was the fact that Apex had a pinging system. Like, where you could, like, highlight weapons and enemies and, like, locations and, like, loot chests and been, like, without actually talking to anybody. Uh, and that was, like, the big difference... And, like, I think you could revive people, but Fortnite, like, two weeks later, added an update with that stuff in it. Or, like, within the month, I think. It was, it was kind of wild how quick that happened. So Yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing to watch. You know, PUBG comes in, and Fortnite comes in, and Apex Legends comes in, and these other big established series now try getting into it. I think that Battle Royale is a really cool idea, but I just think that they're kind of murdering it. And what will be really interesting is that is the team that comes up with something truly novel within the battle royale, you know, something truly interesting and substantive. Like what would it be exciting to have a battle royale on a map so large that you had to literally sit down like like it's 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 appointment playing like everyone sits down and plays at eight o'clock and for three nights in a row or something like that. And the map (laughs) is just huge. And maybe you can like make friends and there's RPG elements and it's like a whole thing and it and it's a real cumulative thing that takes days and it's like an EVE Online game and it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's all this effort. Like that sounds kind of neat. Like that would be something that would get me involved, like a real campaign. And I don't mean a campaign as a single player campaign, a fucking war campaign. That where could it's be like, cool. That'd be pretty neat. You know, I would really like to give see some thought to it. Yeah, I would like to see yeah. some a game other than No Man's Sky utilize that atmosphere technology, by the way. I would love to just start on like a moon base and like drop on any point on the planet that'd be so cool you want to drop some rocks from the moon? <laughs> drop some rocks from the moon for massive damage number eight a remake of the remake of the original jrpg star ocean is coming to playstation 4 what word comes by way of website push square which reports that star ocean first departure r is ps4 bound first departure of course is the 2008 re-release of the 1996 super famicom original and was the first time the initial star ocean game ever saw the light of day outside of japan 
That re-release found its home only on PlayStation Portable and little else is currently known about this re-released re-release. I'm actually looking forward to this. I like Star Ocean, so. I mean, neat. Number nine, the Neo 2 closed alpha is currently underway. Players are receiving random invites on PlayStation 4 based on currently unknown parameters, but what is known is that the alpha is running through June 2nd. What's interesting about this closed alpha is that it comes as a bit of a surprise, as the game had gone dark for some time after its reveal at last year's E3. Likewise, the game had no concrete release window in place or even release year, though the new trailer that accompanied the launch of the closed alpha indicates that it, like the original Neo, will remain a PlayStation 4 console exclusive. The original Neo launched in February of 2017 on PS4 and was developed by Team Ninja, the Japanese team most famously behind both the Dead or Alive fran fighting franchise and the 3D reimagining of the Ninja Gaiden series, which began on the original Xbox in 2004. Neo 2. Cool, cool. Closed alpha. Interesting I, that there's a closed alpha for a single player game. I feel like they did the, this the first time. I don't know if that's true or not. I think that they might have. I think it's really smart. Like yeah. to even read the telemetry. Uh, can you imagine like the telemetry you get when you just let people play games in an alpha? Like you can just heat map everything and see where people go and like what they look at and where they're looking and what they're shooting. Like I think it's really smart. Every single player campaign should come with a fucking with a closed alpha like that because they probably learn so much just by letting people play one stage. Yeah. You know, I love the idea of I think that this shows Team Ninja and, and Koei Tecmo showing a lot of love and a lot of persistence because they don't have to do this. And it's also a nice tool to advertise your game, mm -hmm. get pre-orders, all that. I'm not naive, but I just feel like we don't, you know, multiplayer games are built so deeply around telemetry and the data that they get constantly. Oh, yeah. Like, and so I wonder why. And I know that they get that shit from single player games, but they don't they don't react to it in real time. Maybe they don't. Maybe they feel like if people play it early, they won't play it again because yeah. it's a single player game. And it's really kind of like a one shot experience for a lot of people. Possibly so. Possibly so. And they don't want to lose that. That's probably right. But still, I would love to see it because I, I feel like it, it. How can that not make a game stronger? Oh, yeah, no, it definitely will. Unless it's just a really shrewd business move and they're not going to touch the game at all. But I, I really doubt that. Like, it, it seems to me, first of all, it, it doesn't sound like it's great from what I'm hearing. <laughs> and, really? Like, it sounds like it's exactly the same as the original Neo. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I would just, wouldn't you love to see that data? That data? Like, oh, where did sure. the player look the most on this map? Where, I'd be, like, I would I would be curious to see that data for pretty much anything. Yeah. Like, I would, I would be curious to see, like, if I could map people, like, if I put out a video and, like, I could map where people's eyes are going. Like, that'd be so neat. Like, it's like, oh, where, where are people looking at this point? Oh, they're looking at that. That's a good edit. I'm glad. I'm happy I did that. That's cool. It's like neat. You might be able to get that kind of eye tracking in the future, although. They, they're they starting with like rudimentary eye tracking now. I've seen videos of people like using like their eyes as cursors. I have my crazy person sticker over my computer laptop, <laughs> which, and you know who I learned that from was uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, he does that. I saw a picture of him doing it. I'm like, if he's doing it, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> something's, something's amiss. It doesn't bode well. Number 10, new details have emerged regarding Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, the much-anticipated spiritual successor to Castlevania Symphony of the Night, first revealed back in 2015 that comes out in June. For starters, we now know that the game won't be priced as a full retail release. It'll launch at a $39.99 price point. Publisher 505 Games confirmed through Bloodstained's Kickstarter page that key stretch goals coal updates from the game's initial Kickstarter run four years ago, like more playable characters and new modes, will be made after the available after the final game comes out on June 18th, but that those features will be free for all owners of the game. On the other hand, the so-called Iga's Backpack 
will come out alongside the game on launch day, cost $9.99 on top of the game's price, and will allow players to fight the game's creator, Koji Igarashi, and earn the Sword Whip weapon for defeating him. This goes even for backers of the game who originally funded its creation, as well as all of those who acquire it via retail or digital avenues on PlayStation 4 and other platforms. Remember, the Vita version, which was originally promised, has been canceled. It's important to note as we talk about this game, I'll keep reminding you guys, I was pretty involved in the uh, the launch of this game on yeah. Kickstarter and stuff like that. I want to keep reminding you, I know Iga, take what I say with a grain of salt. It's relevant information. Yeah, I always want to be honest and upfront. I don't think it affects my point of view on the game at all, but that'll be up for you to decide. Yeah. And finally, Chris, nope, it's not finally, actually, number 11. Yeah. God, I wish it was finally because this is a, I can't stand talking about THQ Nordic anymore. <laughs> it's been a little while since we've heard from publisher THQ Nordic, so it should come as no surprise that the company has both new studio acquisitions and game announcements to make. Good Lord. For starters, website Push Square reports that THQ Nordic has acquired the development studio Piranha Bytes, the German team behind the Gothic and Risen action RPG series on PC. As part of the acquisition, THQ Nordic doesn't only acquire the Piranha Bytes name and the talent that works there, but also the Gothic and Risen IP, as well as the Elix IP. Elix is an action RPG Piranha Bytes quietly launched on PC, PS4, and Xbox One in the fall of 2017. THQ Nordic has also confirmed that the development of Dead Island 2 is still going on. This what? comes as a bit of a surprise as the game was first revealed way back at E3 2014. You'll recall that Jaeger, the team most famously behind Spec Ops The Line, which is awesome, was originally tasked to create Dead Island 2, but in 2015 was removed from the project in lieu of Sumo Digital, the British team most recently behind the Xbox One exclusive Crackdown 3, but perhaps most famously known for their work in the Sonic the Hedgehog, Forza, and Little Big Planet series. THQ Nordic has also revealed that it will be the publisher behind 4A Games' upcoming AAA project, according to a report on Gamatsu. 4A Games, of course, is the studio behind the Metro franchise, most recently launching Metro Exodus a few months ago. Its upcoming game is presumably a Metro game as well. THQ's Nordic, THQ Nordic's relationship with 4A Games began with its acquisition of publisher Deep Silver, which was Metro's previous steward. Do you follow all of that? That's so Chris? much shit. But also, Dead Island 2 is not going <laughs> to... That's a disaster. So That's insane. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Techland, who is the, the studio that did the original Dead Island, Dead Island 2 was originally Dying Light. Yeah. And they were smart enough to be like, this is so good. We're just going to make, we're going to take the whole thing. And then they bounced. So they left Dead Island with Deep Silver, who gave it to Jaeger. Now, Jaeger is a German team, and they're super good. They made Dreadnought, but before that, they made Spec Ops The Line, which is one of the great shooters of all time, period. And they dropped the ball, apparently. And they're still alive. I looked into it. They're still making a game, so they're not dead. Okay, good. And then so Sumo Digital took over, and Sumo Digital made a little big Planet 3 and Crackdown 3. They're a really big studio with like five or 600 people. They make a bunch of games. So they're working on it, and apparently, yeah, Dead Island 2 is still in development. Okay. It's been five years since it's been announced. And by the way, do you remember the Dead Island 2 trailer was excellent? The Dead Island 1 trailer was excellent, too. Yeah. But Dead Island 1 was terrible. Or maybe it was the first trailer that I'm thinking about. The Dead Island 1 trailer might be the one I'm thinking Which about. Which one? The, the one with the reverse? Yeah. Yeah, the reverse was Dead Island 1. Dead yeah. Island 2 was the jogger. The jogger. That's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. Yeah, they have yeah. great trailers. Yeah. If only their games were... Uh... I couldn't take Dead Island. It I was terrible. It. It, it was the worst. It was, it was one of the worst things I'd, I'd played up in that point. It was so boring. You know what was the problem, especially for me, Chris, you know I'm fucking crazy, right? Yeah, I've I've picked up on it. You know that. And I like to just get everything. And that game was impossible for me to play. Because every suitcase in every room and every cabinet in every room, was you could open everything. I played it for like two hours. I'm like, I can't play this. Like, it's just too much. My brain can't function like this. And so I gave up. Yeah, it's reasonable. Dying Light, on the other hand, magnificent. Yeah, really, really good. It's a magnificent. It's kind of insane to think that they're even remotely related. 
Now, won't it be funny when Dying Light... Dying Light came out well after Dead Island. Won't it be funny when Dying Light and Dying Light 2 both come out in the time that Dead Island 2 was in development? That will be funny. Because it's going to happen. I wonder how dated that game looks. Or like how it plays. Oh yeah, it's going to look dated. Wow. Alright, we'll see. Maybe they rebooted the entire thing when they took it away from Jaeger. I wonder how bad the game was when Jaeger was making it. That's the most interesting part. We don't want a game like... What is that? A Dead Rising. Yeah. Like, that's a really stilted game by mm. today's standards. That For was sure. really cool back in the day. You don't want anything like that. So anything that's not stilted and slow, I think, will be okay. Yeah. We'll see. We'll be good. That's why Dying Light was so good, because it's so fast. And finally, Chris, number 12, the wrap-up. Website Gamatsu reports that a new Atelier JRPG, Atelier Ryza, has been revealed for PlayStation 4. Though Atelier games typically always migrate west, there is no confirmation on a Western release as of yet. So hold to your, onto your horses, Chris. Gamatsu also reports that randomly generated Metroidvania Dead Cells has surpassed 2 million in lifetime sales, while Capcom has revealed sales of 4.2 million for Resident Evil 2 Remake and 2.1 million for Devil May Cry 5. Website Silicon Era reports that action platformer Eternal Blade 2 is PS4 bound this fall, while visual novel Yutaro, Yutao, Yutoweromano, I can never say that, <laughs> it's Yutoweromano, Zan is coming to Western ps 4 in September. The PlayStation blog has confirmed that free-to-play game Path of Exile Legion will come to PlayStation 4 on June 10th, and that mystical adventure game Luna is coming to PS4 and PSVR on June 18th. Website Push Square reports that Travis Strikes Again No More Heroes, the third No More Heroes game that came to Switch earlier this year, will come to PS4 at some point in 2019. Word has come from Hollywood that the Sonic of the, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, originally scheduled for launch this November, will now come out on Valentine's Day 2020 to accommodate extra development time in lieu of the cartoon protagonist redesign in the face of fan outrage. Kitaku confirms that Judgment, the Yakuza spinoff recently made famous by the drug-related arrest of one of its star actors in Japan, will be relaunched in the so-called New Price version for half its original retail cost on July 18th. Its Western release remains on track for June 25th on PlayStation 4. And finally, publisher Square Enix and developer Avalanche have revealed that Just Cause 4's second expansion pack, Los Demonios, how do you say that? Los Demonios will be coming on June 26th. Yeah, that doesn't even seem like Spanish. Los Demonios. It sounds like English, like an English person making up a Spanish yeah, word. Could be. That's all the news, Chris. Alrighty. It's time to read the new game releases for the week. There aren't too many of them, but some of substance. Would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. Let's do it. Blood and Truth comes to PSVR. Star in your own explosive action movie blockbuster with his PSVR exclusive shooter. Battle through the crime-ridden London underworld as elite soldier Ryan <laughs> Ryan Marks oh, in your deadliest mission yet to save your family from a ruthless criminal empire. Ryan Marks. <laughs> Deacon St. Because he, he marks enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Re <laughs> wreak havoc through an unpredictable story, pack of twists and shocking revelations. Holy moly. So Blood and Truth is a first-party game. And it's a PSVR exclusive made by Sony London. Sony didn't send it to us, but I didn't ask for it. They don't really talk to me unless I talk to them first. So I want to play it. I'll check it out. It's probably pretty good. Yeah, Sony I, London makes good games. I, I I hope that they're leaning into the the kind of campiness of this. Because like the fact that Ryan Marks is such a good name. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible name. Cricket 19 comes to PS4. Lead your team to international glory with Cricket 19. The truly global click cricket simulation from Big Ant Studios, the leading name in authentic, realistic cricket action. Cricket 19 allows you to take control of your team from club through national level and lead them to T20, ODI, or test match glory. I still don't understand cricket. Sometimes late at night on ESPN2 or something, I'll watch cricket. And I'm like, I still don't understand what's going on in this game. Like, there's just a few sports that I've watched ad nauseum where I'm like, I still don't get it. Yeah, I don't really f fully comprehend what it is. Cricket, I don't get. I lacrosse, don't get. I don't understand either. Really. Oh, lacrosse, I get. That's surprising. Lacrosse was our game in New York. I mean, a lot of people play eh. lacrosse. It's hockey on foot. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy 
comes to PS4, the post-Soviet country of Ch- Ch- Chernaris is struck by That's an not unknown. Real. <laughs> <laughs> is struck by an unknown virus, turning the majority population into frenzied infected. All right. Fighting over resources has bred a hostile mentality among survivors, driving what is left of humanity to collapse. You are one of the few immune to the virus. How far will you go to survive? Dragon Fang Z, The Rose of and Dungeon of Time comes to PS4. This game offers a nostalgic and new experience. It is a wonderful roguelike RPG that will test your bravery. Rose is half human and half dragon. One day she wanders into a world called the Tree of Time with her nanny, Fairy. <laughs> your courage, and it's by the way, it's not her nanny, it's her nanny, comma, Fairy. Your courage and growth will be the key to clear the dungeon. Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted comes to PSVR. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted is a collection of classic and original mini-games set in the Five Nights universe. Survive terrifying encounters with your favorite killer animatronics in a, in a collection of new and, and classic Five Nights at Freddy's expansions, where fantasy and fun come to life. I'm looking forward to that. I think I'm actually going to play it. I've never played it. Golem Gates comes to PS4. Golem Gates is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi blend of action strategy and card battler, pitting your conjured armies against otherworldly forces. Choose from 100 cards known as glyphs and unleash diverse units, buildings, buffs, and more in tactical combat across single-player co-op and multiplayer. Is this Lapis and Labyrinth or Lapis? I think it's Lapis Cross Labyrinth. Lapis Cross Labyrinth comes to PS4. Help a struggling town recover from bankruptcy in an age of dwindling adventuring. Recruit and customize your team of adventurers uh, in this high-voltage action platformer. Behind every monster inside Labyrinth could be unfathomable treasures, endless gold, or perhaps even more terrible nightmares. Layers of Fear 2 comes to PS4. Layers of Fear 2 is a first-person psychological horror game with an emphasis on exploration and story. Players control a Hollywood actor who heeds the call of an enigmatic director to take on the lead role in a film shoot abroad an ocean liner. Beware, for all may not truly be what it seems. Uh, Layers of Fear 2 is supposed to be pretty good, by the way. I yeah. did I did do paid work on the original Layers of Fear. So, again, take that with me. Oh, really? Me. Yeah, I, I made, like, uh, marketing videos. Oh, cool. So, again, take what I say with a layer or, or a grain a layer, a layer a layer of, of salt. salt. Take what I say with a layer of salt <laughs> about Layers of Fear 2, but it's supposed to be pretty good. And I it heard has the first plat- one was good. It is good. And it has a platinum trophy, which is nice. Yeah. Super Kane Magic Zero comes to PS4. Cake the Wizard is dead, and his magic dog is out of control. Can you save the world? Can you save the dog? Gear up, eat rocks, throw banana boomerangs, and fight a giant potato. Explore a huge game world, unlock over 15 playable characters, and collect hundreds of items and perks in this local co-op action RPG for one to four players. It's a nice write-up. It is good, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Super Tennis Blast comes to PS4. Smash that ball and have a real blast enjoying the best tennis. Start your professional career in the World Tour mode. Train your skills and become a tennis legend playing on courts around the world. Host couch parties playing tournaments in singles or doubles with classic rules or the awesome Super Blast modes. The House in Feta Morgana comes to comes to PS Vita. You're not forgotten, guys. You're not. A gothic suspense tale set in a cursed mansion. The House in Feta Morgana or Feta Morgana, whatever, you, whatever the hell, is a full-length visual novel spanning nearly a millennium that deals in tragedy, human nature, and insanity. This recent blog post has more details about... Oh, yeah, I didn't delete that. Sorry, I linked that to, <laughs> linked that to the blog post. Yeah, the, the, House of Fata Morgana, or the House of Fata Morgana randomly popped up because it's coming to PS4 in a few weeks, too. But the Vita one's coming out first. And it sounds pretty cool. Although a full-length visual novel spanning nearly a millennium, that's way too long for me. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit long, yeah. Uh, Trover Saves the Universe 
comes to PS4 and PSVR. Your dogs have been dognapped by a beaked lunatic who stuffed them into his eye holes and is using their <laughs> life essence to destroy the universe. You're partnered with Trover, a little purple eye hole monster who isn't a huge fan of working or being put in the position of having to save the universe. <laughs> this is uh, this is the, the Rick and Morty guys. This is Justin Rowland's game. Nice. Sounds like it. <laughs> Unruly Heroes comes to PS4. Take control of four unlikely heroes that battle a diverse lineup of enemies and show off uh, show off your kung fu skills in this action-packed adventure. Seamlessly swap between heroes and journey west across stunning different environments in order to hunt for the scattered remnants of this sacred scroll. Oh, God. It's like everything's the same. <laughs> Warlock's Tower comes to PS4 and Vita. Warlock's Tower is a retro puzzler with elegantly designed levels around one simple rule. One move equals one life lost. Playing as Mailman Tim, brave the tower's maddening puzzles to reach the top and deliver a peace offering to the Warlock. That's all the games. The only one of massive substance, I think, to this audience would be Blood and Truth. If you're a PSVR player, you're obviously going to want to look into that. Yeah. Layers of Fear 2 is supposed to be good. Super Kane Magic Zero sounds fun. I would say check out Trover. Uh, just because it's if, if you like that kind of like irreverent, weird shit, I think you're going to like it. I like the write-up for that one as well. Yeah. Now, Chris, as we always do, I want to wrap up with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from our audience on Patreon. Remember, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. It's the only way that you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We very much appreciate you. Please support us. Yes, please. Eight whole questions, huh? Eight whole questions as usual. Mitch Krasen wrote into us. So with the release date of Man of Medan from the Dark Picture series, they stated that they have release schedule. They have releases scheduled every six months for the next two years. Personally, I love Until Dawn and I'm dying for more of their stuff, but that seems like a lot even for me. Do you guys think that these will be small enough experiences for people not to get worn out by them? So to catch people up, uh, the Man of Medan in the Dark Picture series is the new game and the new game series from Supermassive, which is the British team that worked in a second party capacity with Sony on Until Dawn. And Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco is publishing these particular games. So what they're going for is they're going for like encapsulated horror experiences that will be within this anthology that will be released every six months. I think is the game's not going to be as big as Until Dawn. So and Until Dawn is pretty big. So if you're getting an experience like that's four or five hours every six months or not even, I think that's perfectly fine. In fact, I think that kind of feels engaging. The problem for me about this, Chris, because I, I want to play Man of Madonna and I want to play the Dark Pictures anthology is that I probably will do what I do with or did with all the Telltale games, which I'll just wait until they're all done. You know, maybe I'm, yeah. I'm probably not going to play them as they come out. But if it's an anthology, see, it's an anthology series, right? right? So it's not connected episodes. That's true. So theoretically, you won't even have to worry about like whether or not you will. Oh, I don't remember that. It was six months ago. That's true. So it, it should be fine. I think it's I think it's a perfectly uh, reasonable schedule to have. It doesn't seem unreasonable to me, considering the fact that six months is a long time. Yeah, it's, it's not like a short like, you know, it's, it's a decent amount of time to wait. I, I would assume that the games are all content complete as well. My assumption is that they want to get ahead of themselves and announce that schedule that they have everything in order where they're just going to be polishing and making sure everything goes as they get to the six month marks each time. They've been I don't want to say they've been dark because they released the PSVR game for Until Dawn and they did a few other things, but they have they haven't made a huge game in a while. So this is this is exciting. I'm excited about the Dark Pictures anthology. Yeah, no, me too. I'm actually super into it. I love I love anthology series in general. So I think it's really cool to have like a finally have a game like that. I don't think I, I can't. Has there ever been like an anthology game series? Because one's not Ooh. coming to mind. I don't know. I love probably, it. but but I'm probably I'm on PC or something. like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure it exists, but like it's it's not super common. And I, I love that shit. Like Love, Death and Robots on Netflix is so good because just all these episodes are just random shit. Yeah, I like that, too. I and mean, the random ephemera of even dark or black mirror and stuff. like Yeah, that no, cool. exactly. 
The great Nate wrote into us and said, hello, Crispy Colin and Creamy Chris. I, I don't, don't like that at all. I hate that. I, stay away from me. Creamy Chris. <laughs> that's fucking horrendous. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. The game Dauntless was recently released, and my friends and I were super excited for it. Dauntless has been released fully cross-platform between Xbox, PC, and PlayStation. Since my friends all have PS4s and I only have a PC, we don't ever get to play games online together until now. I'm interested in your t- in U2s. He's like a soprano guy. <laughs> I'm interested in U2's feelings on Sony's sudden willingness to play nice with its competitors, and do you expect this to continue into the future? As always, thank you for making my 4 a.m. shift somewhat bearable, and keep up the good work. Thank you, great Nate. I actually love that. I didn't know that that was part of Dauntless's uh, model. Because you brought that up last week, right? That Dauntless, Dauntless was the game you had said was good that your friends were playing, right? Or is that another yeah, I had, I had I had friends who played it back in uh, a couple couple months ago. I kind of fell off of it just because, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff to play. There is. But I, I really like that. I like that it's, it's entirely cross-platform. That's really cool. Do you think Sony will keep doing this? I, I, the sudden willingness is not necessarily new with Dauntless. The, the sudden willingness came with a few other games that they finally activated, you know? Yeah. I think Fortnite, right? And mm-hmm. uh, Rocket League, I think. Fortnite, they had to be pushed to do that, right. which was weird because that's like the, I don't know. So I but think yeah. just in the midst of a new Sony that realizes it can't play the way it was playing with proprietary shit. It just can't. It's not possible. Yeah. Now, will you see more of this play nice in the future? I think with the memorandum of understanding <laughs> between Microsoft and Sony that, yeah, you're going to see more play nice. I'm really happy about that. That's such that's so cool. John Ballas wrote into us, Chris. He says, hey, CNC, it really is surprising that Sony has forewent. Is that a word? I guess it is. The exclusive FPS route this generation, Sans Killzone Shadowfall, after endorsing that genre quite a bit last generation. Do you guys think next gen will provide far more par for the course or will we get an exclusive FPS? Thanks for providing the best video game podcast on the web. You're very welcome, John. Thank you for your support. Chris, will Sony migrate back to shooters? I, I, we've talked about this a lot. I think that this is an important topic, though. Yeah. They have got to get back into the game with FPSs. I, I really don't get what they're doing there. It doesn't have to be kill zone or resistance, but they need to do something in that space. So, yeah, you're going to see an exclusive first person shooter. I think it's going to be kill zone. But they got to get back in the game. Yeah, no, I would agree. But we're also in an interesting kind of place right now where even like Halo's not technically exclusive anymore because it's on PC. Right. So I wonder if they'll even if they'll look at that and be like, oh, I wonder if it's even worth it. I, I, I like I don't know. I don't know. We I'm sure we'll see an FPS. I don't know if we're going to see this huge shift towards an FPS centric minded Sony. But like, I'm sure we'll get at least one, you know, probably towards the beginning of the PS5's launch cycle. I think we're going to see SOCOM again. Which is not first person, excuse me, which is not first person, it's third person in, historically, but I think we'll see that. And I think we'll see Killzone in mm. first person. I just, I'm a little confused by what Sony's data is telling them. Because I think that they've probably stayed at FPS is to stay out of the way of the 30% rips they're making off of every Call of Duty transaction and game sold off of every Battlefield transaction and game sold off of every Fortnite fucking skin, every PUBG. It's like, they probably look at it and be like, well, why? Like, well, why? We don't need to make a third-person shooter or a first-person shooter because all of these games are doing great. We are the platform holders, yeah. and we're making 30% off of all of their gross revenue. And also, FPSs used to be more, far more of a you know a ubiquitous trend than they are now. I feel, I feel like the trend now is Battle Royale, third-person kind of stuff. I wonder if... I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see another kill zone sometime. Definitely. I, I don't think they're going to let that go. I'd much rather see Resistance back, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> Resistance, I think resistance is way more fertile for storytelling. I just don't know that that's necessarily what they want. I also don't know that that's necessarily the good idea, right? Because oh, I think it's a great idea. I think to go story driven. Yeah, well, I mean, Sony is known for being story driven anyway. Mm. So, like, why not take mm. why not take an FPS 
and work your magic onto it. Something that you can't get anywhere else. Nice. Yes. I feel like it makes sense. That's a great point. Because for me, I guess my, my counterpoint or my, my my other thought about it was, is that is that also taken up? Is that space also taken up? Right? Story driven like, FPS? Yeah. Like Bethesda really seems to be with Wolfenstein or just first person games generally. But, you know, because you could throw Dishonored in there as well. But right. And Prey, like they're all about. They got that right, just like just like Call of Duty and Battlefield. In other words, I'm, I wonder if they're looking at it and saying like, "Well, no one's really making really high quality third person linear games, and we make great open world games now with Horizon and God of War is kind of a pseudo open world, and Days Gone is pretty good." So I wonder if they're really doubling down and we're just going to make third person action games. But I think that that's a mistake. Like I really think you got to get yeah. involved. No, I think I think so too. And, yeah. and I, I would also argue that like a lot of the Bethesda, you know, headed shooters aren't story driven. They're they're single player. For sure, but they're definitely more gameplay driven. I, th- I think Sony mm. could could do a lot to make this. Imagine a shooter that had the the storytelling potential of something like The Last of Us or something like The God of War. I think that'd be really cool, and I think that would be something that would be most appreciated on a Sony platform as opposed to others. You're right there. You're right there. And that's my that's it. Blair Toms wrote into us and said, "Hey, Cranky Colin and Cuckoo Chris, it's a little better than Creamy. It's, Chris. it's definitely better than Creamy. Creamy makes you think of that. You remember that commercial with the ice cream man who like ate ice cream off the top of his yeah, skull? Yeah, that's what it made me think of immediately. I mean, creamy makes me think of even much grosser things than that. I was watching a let's play of the original Castlevania from the newly released anniversary collection and noticed the player getting points for killing enemies or obtaining items along the way. This was a staple of older games hanging on to the arcade-like format." At what point in the console generations did games transition from this tallied point system to being on a more objective-based? My initial thought was the PlayStation N64 era, but wanted to get your take on it. Keep up the great work, and thanks for making work days fly by. This is a great question. Yeah, I think he's right. I think it's around N64, PS1, where you started seeing that trend. That was definitely the transitional phase, I think. Yeah. When, like, you definitely still had games that... Because I feel like high scores were more about the game and, like, what you were doing in the game. Like, Pac-Man is... There's no experience to be had in Pac-Man. It's just being good at the, the game. But like when you when you started getting into PS1 and N64, it started being more about like the adventure and like the experience. And you had kind of holdovers with like high scores in there, but it, they were really just kind of like traditional. Yeah, I just think it's the difference between like gameplay focused and just kind of like the story and the adventure. What's the adventure in Mario 64? You can't get a high score in Mario 64. That's true. It's all about exploring and doing crazy stuff. What I like about scores in terms of like the, the genealogy is watching how they disappear. Like even the original Mega Man game had a score which is so bizarre and meant nothing to the game. Yeah. And then they removed that for all the other Mega Man games. Castlevania score, he was saying that it's a little more interesting than Castlevania because you actually get free lives depending on the score, mm-hmm. the score tiers you reach. So it's actually useful to try to get a high score. Yeah. But that was definitely something that they put in the game because they were like, oh, we have to put a score in here. How right. do we work? How do we make this worth it? Yeah, it's it's weird. But at, your, your instincts are absolutely right. Uh, the transition to uh, PS1 and, and N64 is when you largely saw that disappear. Although you did see it disappear in the SNES and Genesis era too. There are plenty of 2D platformers that don't have scores. So yeah, very nice insight. And of course, like you said, for the younger or more inexperienced gamers out there, obviously score chasing comes from the arcades. Yeah. And now it's just uh, achievements and trophies. Yep. We have a different metagame now. Mm -hmm. Much better metagame. I agree. Brett Herman wrote in and said, hello, C squared. My question is for the both of you, but mainly Colin, since I really can't understand how he plays games the way he does. (laughs) In previous episodes, Colin talks about playing a game to the platinum trophy, then deleting the game afterward, never to be played again. Doesn't that take away from the value of the experience? Isn't it difficult to get invested in a game that you've only play, that you're only playing to finish? Or do I have it wrong and you actually connect with a game or on a deep level and have a desire to come back? Chris, how do you connect with your games? Love the podcast, gentlemen. I don't know. Me deleting a game, like getting a platinum and deleting it is like 
that's part of the experience for me. That is part of the experience. It's like satisfying. Yeah, I'm like, it's, like it's done. I never have list. to play this ever again. You know, and and I kind of like like that. That that's it is the ultimate box to check is deleting the game yeah. with a platinum trophy. That's my experience. I used to chase achievements and stuff like that, but I don't know. I, the metagame just wasn't nearly as interesting to me. I, but I also feel like I'm one of those people that if a game doesn't grab me in like the first 10 minutes, I'm probably not going to finish it all the way through. I'll, I'll probably put it down and forget about it and maybe pick it up 10 years later. Because I really do, I really am like a gameplay focus. That's why I love Doom so much. It's because it's I could turn that on at any point and have a good time and shut it off and not feel like I'm making this crazy commitment. I don't have to sit through like long. I I, I tried to play Spider-Man the other day and I to do the new game plus. And I was like, oh, that's right. I started a new game plus. I can't wait to play this again. And then I started at the, what is it, the Dr. Octopus level where you have to just do all those stupid puzzles. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, I remember why I stopped. Yeah, for, yeah forget it. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to get back to Spider-Man for the DLC. That's the one thing where, especially with a terabyte drive, like there's no necessity really to be deleting things. Here's the thing, Chris. Even at IGN, I've told stories where I was always puzzled why people cared what I played. I used to get into fights with people at IGN, like arguments, because people would be like, oh, you know, the editors at a, at a stand-up would be like, I'm playing, you know, blah, 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 Big Game X. And the guy's like, I'm playing Big Game Y. And I'm like, I'm playing some game on Vita. Yeah. Or I'm playing this little PSN game. And they're like, why are you playing these games? Like, you need, and I'm like, I'll be, I need to play whatever the fuck I want to play, you know? And I feel like people need to embrace the idea that not only should you play what you want, but you should play how you want. If you get excitement out of literally starting Mario on NES and running into the Goomba on World 1-1 over and over again, <laughs> I that's fucking insane. But that's the way you play the game and that's how you draw enjoyment out of it. So I've, I've always been c confused by people being concerned how other people are garnering their enjoyment out I, of a product. You know what I think it is? I, I think it comes from like a good place. I think what it does is like, I think the person who's curious has a really strong connection with a certain kind of game and they want other people to have that and they don't understand any other way that people can have that. So they're like, hey, you should try. Why are you doing that when you should be doing this thing that works for me? And they just kind of missed the whole perspective point. Well, shut up, Brett. <laughs> Get no, out of here, kidding. Brett. Get out of here, Brett. <laughs> no, you know what? To your point, I've always said like Souls fans are the worst, the absolute worst, and they are with that kind of stuff. Like with the getting like just shaming people and like <laughs> berating people if you don't like Bloodborne or you don't like Dark Souls 3 or whatever. But Persona fans getting pretty close, getting pretty, getting, it's, pretty close. It's getting up there. You know, like they're getting pretty, I remember, pretty obnoxious. I remember I straight up just didn't like Dark Souls. <laughs> and people were just I didn't upset. I took a way. whole week off of work at IGN in 2014 to play Dark Souls. Because, again, because I'm like, what is going, like, why? What, and I just, I'm like, I just can't stand Playing this Sekiro and really liking it, I get it. But at the same time, it's, it's just too janky. Like That game is far too janky for me to enjoy. I can't. You don't like the jank. I don't, I don't like the jank. I, I'll, I'll accept it in like a horror game, you know? Like Resident Evil, where that like that's kind of the point almost to have like as little control over your mm. character as possible to make things more tense. But in Dark Souls, it just feels like why is my sword hitting the wall, but the enemy can swing through it? This sucks. I hate this. I just feel cheated constantly. Absolutely. I, I always brought up the dragon. Like there's I don't know five or six hours into the game, there's, a, there's just, you walk across this bridge and there's just a dragon that just comes and destroys you, like kills yeah. you out of nowhere. And that to me, I was just like, okay, so now I know the dragons here and I got to figure out. But I'm like, this just isn't fun i don't like rules that don't that apply to me fun. but not the people i'm fighting mm. i hate that i like equal because that's i feel like that's more skill based definitely i don't know matt borges wrote into us and said hey chris and colin recently chris has gotten to experience remakes and revivals of gaming franchises from his childhood like crash and spyro and medieval and medieval's coming soon 
As an increasingly nostalgic 19-year-old, my question is, when will we, when will the next generation gaming generation get their chance? I'm talking all the late 2000s, early 2010s big hitters like Little Big Planet, Patapon, Mod Nation Racers, Pain, Invisimals, and the ultimate, of course, iPet. Will we ever see the return <laughs> to that short but sweet era where Sony released something strange, exclusive every two months? The one I would love to see the most out of this is Tokyo Jungle. What do you mean, like a remaster? Yeah, like I, I don't know. Maybe he's talking about yeah, remastering or reviving these. Revival. Yeah. He's not talking about well, Crash and Spyro are not remasters. Well, they're, they're, they're remakes. remakes. Yeah. Now I don't think that Little Big Planet needs to be remade. Patapon was re-released. Mod Nation Racers definitely doesn't need to be remade. Pain. Like I, now you're like you. I understand that you're drawing from really early PS3 games and PSN games. But nothing you, nothing, literally nothing you listed, with the exception of maybe Patapon, actually needs to be remade again. You well, the, the the thing that's My different, the, I think the, th- the thing that's different between that era and the era that I grew up with was <laughs> the era that I grew up with, those games, if you play them today, they're so hideous. And a lot of them are really difficult to look at. And it's it's there are certain points where you just don't know what the hell you're looking at. Whereas like stuff that came out in like 2009, th- things might look out of date, but you still understand what everything's supposed to be. You still understand what everything is. You understand the tone of what you're getting. Medieval is a pretty good example because Medieval was remade on the PSP and came out and it was worse. But they were they're, now they're remaking it again, not because... It's this thing that, you know, everybody wants to see. It's just because those I feel like that generation of games is the generation of games that's most needed to be remastered because it's just it, they're just so they don't hold up well. Right. I agree. So many of them. I Visually, agree. especially. There is a necessity to go back to the polygonal era, the early polygonal era and remake those games or or, or give them treatment. I agree with you. Not and even I, not even just back then. I mean, like that specific like the SNES still looks great. It does. You plug the SNES in a, into a, a 4K TV. It still looks great. You know, it might be a little bit blurry, but like the art is still mostly intact. Xbox and like PS2 looks a little bit old, but you know what Jack is supposed to be. You know what Daxter's supposed to be. A car looks like a car. <laughs> you play Spyro, you're like, is that a, is that a is that a building or a or a plant? Yeah, it's is that a plane? It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's such hard a, to tell. It's weird. It's so abstract. I just am so puzzled by this list of games that he listed. Well, it's nostalgia driven. No, it is, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm was reading. there a game that was absolute shit that you actually used to love just because, just for nostalgia's sake? Probably. I'm sure there's one of them. I would. Have, the only way you can go back, I feel like <laughs> I insult a lot of people with this, but like I think a lot of people feel that way with Altered Beast. I think Altered Beast is the worst game ever made. Like, really? Uh, yeah, ever. I've never played it. Fucking ever. Altered Beast is fucking terrible. It, it sounds like a gauntlet kind of game. Is that? Is that no, a, it's it's this slow moving side scroller. It, it's it's no, it's not like Gauntlet's awesome. No. It's bad. Ugh. And whenever I see someone say that they love Altered Beast, I'm like, what? How? When is the <laughs> last time you played Altered Beast? Like, that's always my question because it's really fucking bad. So we have to look th- at things through that lens too. But again, I said the game that I think would be cool to bring back is Tokyo Jungle. That was such a weird fucking game. And I liked that PSN game a lot. Hmm. But I don't know that. Did you see that play that game? No. You basically play as different animals in a post-apocalyptic Tokyo that's like overrun with animals weird it's really really cool it's like and you like kill other animals and you like it's like about surviving for as long the as name you can. definitely sounds familiar yeah it was cool I think it came out 2012 maybe something like that Tenny Cootie wrote into us said hey Chris and Colin I was curious as to your opinion on asymmetrical multiplayer games specifically their longevity 
I feel a key hindrance to these types of games is that you really need to have a group and communicate with one another to have fun or one another to have fun for a long time. Does this inherently cut the potential player base as most people can't form a group to keep playing, let alone want to talk to strangers during a game? To summarize, are asymmetrical games fundamentally a bad idea for PlayStation to start their pursuit of multiplayer games with as they're unlikely to have a significant amount of people to keep coming back? I think, you're, I think you're confusing uh, asymmetric, asymmetric multiplayer games with team based games. You can have an asymmetrical multiplayer game that is not team-based. Like, Left 4 Dead's a pretty great example. That game is a game where you play as survivors, and the other team can play as special infected, like hunters and smokers and all that stuff. But there's no real communication necessary for really anybody. You, it, it, It's better if you do, uh, but those games are entirely playable and still really going strong. Left 4 Dead 2 is a pretty huge staple on PC still. Like, it's, it's the game that people, you know, mod to hell and, like, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you want to play something? I don't know. Let's play Left 4 Dead 2. It's a really ubiquitous kind of game, and that's a pretty good example of one. I think you're thinking of maybe Evolve, which was the learning curve of Evolve was really kind of huge. Like there were different characters with different abilities, and, and their abilities depended on the team working in a very specific way. I feel like the, the reason people think this way about asymmetrical games is because the only recent asymmetrical games we've had have put team play above base kind of gameplay and above like the just the base fun factor and accessibility of those older kind of the older splinter cells or the older left for deads well put Mm -hmm. finally chris james spruels wrote into us and said a good day colin and chris with the release of the oculus quest do you think that this will help raise the profile of the psvr and ultimately help it be more successful or will it hurt psvr by the way the game you guys were thinking about that had vr within vr was accounting plus which was made by the Rick and Morty guys. Keep up the great work, and it's good to see you, Colin, getting more help. It sounds like you were working too hard for a while. I am. Although, hi- hiring more help, which I've done recently, I'm like a coordinator now. It's like a whole new level of fucking stress. <laughs> it's different stress. It's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's like unbelievable. Just never, my life just never ends. Literally, my life just never ends. Now, <laughs> Chris. Yeah. What do you make of this particular comment because so the oculus um, quest is the, the the wireless one right yeah that just it, came out recently it, it's out already yeah well i've seen people playing it yeah hmm that's kind of huge if it if it's as effective as if it works better than the previous oculus and it and it's wireless that's a pretty huge step that's wild yeah i saw a picture of uh, the editor of this show dustin playing it in his backyard and oh. it's it's pretty Interesting. I don't know that it hurts. I think VR is a high tide situation right now. I think just getting people comfortable with any VR unit is good for all of them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Until they really start to differentiate themselves. Now, having a powerful unit that is not tethered to anything is incredible. But is that going to be possible with PSVR? No. And that's not the the point of PSVR. PSVR is a cheaper entry point to get people kind of into it. And I think like it's like the like the base PS4. You get a base PS4 for like 100 bucks, and you're like, ah, oh, I wonder what the PS4 is. And then maybe you want to get a Pro, or maybe you want to like upgrade to the next thing. It's really just kind of like a, you know, foot in the water kind of deal. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I don't know. I, I think a high tide raises all boats. I feel that way about Patreon, too. I don't really feel very competitive on Patreon because... Not me neither. Because it's just like, I think getting one person in is good for a lot of people, or one person kind of migrating, getting comfortable with the ecosystem. I think it's just positive. So we're in an early state with PSVR, where I, or with VR generally, rather, where I think... It's just a it's just a high tide situation. That's pretty cool, though, man. I I didn't know that uh, I I, I had heard stories about it like oh, it's wireless. But I was like, yeah, sure. okay. I actually still kind of don't believe it. Like you're telling me this. And I'm like, "Mm, sure. I don't think it's very powerful, but it can't be. There's no way. But 
That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. there's no way. That's the, that's the thing. It's like, but, but, people it's, are but it's an it. Oculus. People are playing it. Chris, that's all I have for this week's episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Oh, boy. You know what we get to do now, right? Yeah. So now we're going to go record our Let's Plays for Kingdom Hearts and Overcooked. They'll start rolling out. Uh, <laughs> if you hear this on free feeds, it'll already be, one of them will already be out. But if you're listening to this on Patreon, they'll go up starting on Wednesday. Uh, and we'll have an every other week situation where it'll be let's play side quest, let's play side quest, let's play side quest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Appreciate your support. Please consider throwing us a few bucks on patreon.com slash Collins last stand if you can for early ad free access to every show. It goes also for all of my other podcasts as well. You get the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show. You get exclusive content, et cetera. And you also get the nomenclature correct of not being a freeloader anymore. <laughs> If you are freeloaders, that's perfectly fine with us, though. We appreciate you and love you. Please consider leaving us nice reviews on iTunes. We've gotten some really strange reviews on iTunes lately. Did you see that one I put up on Twitter of the guy talking about how, you know, he faked being sick when he was eight years old and then he got drunk and <laughs> what? We get, we get some really interesting reviews on there. That's Check a fascinating out. one. It's a neat story. They really understand the essence of sacred symbols. And remember, you can buy merch as well. We appreciate all of you, whether you support us on Patreon or buy merch or not. You are loved. Don't worry about it. You are loved. It's not your fault. You are cared for. It's not your fault. I assure you. It's not your fault. <laughs> Keep telling yourself. It's not your fault. Chris, let's get the hell out of here and record these Let's Plays. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finale, Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton K, Jeremy Key, Anti Kinnanen, James Kinzel the Third, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan. T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, David Parkhurst, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Tony D. Riemenschneider, Austin 
Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Tambanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Phil Van Ralt, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Toothless Gibbon, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. Have you ever pushed a beach ball underwater? What happens? It pops right back up. Have you ever pushed a baby underwater? What happens? The baby fucking dies. <laughs>